Hello, everybody. Welcome to Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. Uh, Rob Kennedy here. We thought um, we would re-air an episode we aired a year ago uh, from a company called ScienceScape that is renamed Meta. Uh, you may have heard in the last few days they got bought by the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, which is Priscilla Chan and her husband, who you might know as Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, they created a, a philanthropic endeavor that's uh, designed to advance human potential. And uh, they acquired Meta a couple days ago. So we thought it'd be kind of cool to take a listen to Sam, the CEO of Meta, a year ago before they were uh, acquired to see what motivated Sam to start the company and uh, what the what the company's all about. I think it's pretty cool. So take a listen and, and we'll see you again for a new episode next week. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. I'm your host, Rob Kennedy, and we're here today with Sam of ScienceScape. How's it going, Sam? Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. And in the interest of full disclosure, even though I'm not a journalist, uh, ScienceScape, and I'm at TWG right now, we're having chats about maybe dating, maybe working together in some way. So I thought everyone should just know that uh, first, although we aren't at the moment. Uh, So Sam, why don't you tell us what ScienceScape's all about? Sure. So, uh, so ScienceScape's a company that uh, I co-founded uh, about five years ago now, and we set out to solve uh, a problem that you can basically capture as publication overload or filter failure in the, uh, in the sciences and broadly science and IP market. Mm-hmm. So we set out to solve this problem by essentially applying the Silicon Valley platform thesis to this content type, the content type being uh, peer-reviewed articles, potentially patents, and um, over the past couple of years, we built a platform that essentially takes the global research firehose and organizes it into what we know to be the world's largest research knowledge graph or scientific knowledge graph. And similar to the idea uh, where Google has applied, uh, there's a knowledge graph about the broader world. So people and organizations that are prominent in the broader world, we've gone incredibly deep with that concept within science. And uh, on the knowledge graph um, are entities uh, from the world of, of, of research. So people, things, places, organizations, products, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And we understand uh, in the knowledge graph setting the relationship among those entities, what papers are associated with them. And we use that to power uh, a personalized on-demand research uh, discovery platform that allows you to uh, stream breaking research as it happens from around the world mm-hmm. and uh, very powerfully explore the landscape of history um, within biomedicine over the last 200 years. So like Google has Google Scholar. Yep. which is sort of a, it's the typical white box. It just has a different logo at the top, and then you type, you know, heart disease or cancer or something like that, and then it just vomits up journal articles, and then you have to go into them. How, how is this different than that? So that's search. Yeah. And search is, uh, there's lots of search. So there's, uh, there's free search. Uh, Google Scholar is great free search. It has the, the, the uh, largest and probably best uh, free full-text search engine um, in scholarly literature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's PubMed, which is de facto search engine for biomedicine. Mm-hmm. And then there's enterprise search from companies like Thompson and Elsevier, and it's great enterprise search that's um, very powerful. Uh, search is a solved problem for research. So if you know the paper you're looking for, if you can describe it well, mm-hmm. have a fragment of the title, if you've got the author list, mm-hmm. um, it's trivial to find papers that you, you know exist. The problem is all the other papers that you don't know exist. So in biomedicine, there's something like 24.8 million articles published in 200 years, 4,000 new ones rolling out every day. The challenge is- 4,000 papers being rolled out every day. Every day, every day. At the start of the month, there's like 105,000 papers sometimes uh, for the monthlies. And at the start of the year, there, there's a lot of papers as well. Hmm. So the problem is you don't know the papers exist. You don't know to search for what you don't know. 
and how do you discover those? So who's the and you that's in this? The problem. Like who's who's the person you're targeting to get to use this? So uh, so any reader of the scientific literature, mm -hmm. there's something between 20 and 40 million readers of the scientific liter literature out there. But the core of that market is really the continuously publishing researchers. Okay. Um, and uh, that's probably something in the neighborhood of two to two to three million people. And is it the so like? For those who don't know, and, and I'm one of them, <laughs> when when you if you're a researcher on a on a topic, uh, do you you don't every time you look up a journal, you don't pull out your wallet and type your credit card in to look at that article. Right. The the institution has an agreement. Right. For for every time I guess every time the article's pulled up, they pay some fee, or do they pay like a monthly fee to just have access to all that content, or how does yeah? It work? So it, it depends on the institute that you're at. There's varying levels of access. So access is a different concept in 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 scholarly scholarly publishing. Mm -hmm. But uh, in general, so for example, if it, you're at one of the major Canadian institutes, mm -hmm. you have access to a lot of the literature, and uh, the institute pays for access to those journals, the back file, as well as the currents. Yes. Um, so that's what you have access to if you're you're a researcher there. If you're not at one of those. Um, so if you're in a in developing world, for example, you probably have access to a lot less literature. Mm -hmm. And if you're an unaffiliated researcher or a citizen scientist kind of kind mm -hmm. of uh, archetype, um, you'll find that you don't have access to anything except for the open access. And in that case, you'll have to pay to read individual articles. So on very science, expensive on Sciencecape, do you how does it work? Does the institution pay to have those articles? So available we're, or we're, we're, we're access agnostic. We're trying to make the, the literature discoverable for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have to use appropriate uh, means to get access to the literature. So we, we help you get access through your institute, but we don't mediate the payment. We don't, we don't do any of that stuff. We make sure you know what to read, which we think is the, the bigger challenge. Right. And then, and then it goes to the existing relationship. So how, right. who pays for the, 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 I guess the, Algorithms and smart things that Sciencecape does. Like I, as a as a researcher, would I pull up my credit card to use Sciencecape, or do, who pays for it? No, so it's totally free. Okay, uh, it's free for all readers of, of the literature. We'll probably make it free for everyone all the time. Okay, um, we have. Uh, so in the process of building this company, mm -hmm. the components of our company are, are content, machine intelligence algorithms that are organizing papers and entities and information into that knowledge graph, and the platform itself that serves it, mm -hmm. we've ended up with some tremendous capabilities and data. Mm -hmm. And um, we've realized that a lot of people, including the academic community, want to use uh, those data and uh, those, those, uh, those algorithms. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to be making available a suite of services over the next little while that people can, people can use academics probably for free, and uh, an industry can, can pay to access. Cool. So how how so <laughs> you are not a technology entrepreneur by trade right initially so how right. did you get to this like what did you like one day you're like riding a bicycle and you're like I should make an academic search engine for yeah, if if only <laughs> so um so so uh, <clears throat> my my story is uh, I'm a scientist by training mm -hmm. and uh, I did a uh, I did a degree in biochemistry um, and then went on to uh, work on a PhD at the University of Toronto mm -hmm. in medical biophysics. So, um, so I'm I'm very motivated by problems. Um, I'm I'm kind of like technique and approach agnostic. Uh, if I could if I could work on cancer using you know pens and paper and 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 it could just work that I would work that way. If we have to use you know DNA sequencers and mice, we'll, we'll do it that way. If I care about a problem and it requires a technology startup company, I'm going to do it that way. Okay. And uh, for, for my PhD, I worked on a disease called osteosarcoma. Mm -hmm. We made uh, some good progress on the genetics of that disease, 
Um, but in the process of doing the PhD, mm -hmm. uh, I discovered that um, essentially nobody has any idea what's being published, not on a daily basis, not on a weekly basis. Some people have a general idea of a couple top papers that are coming out every month. But the, the act of doing science, the act of collaborating in science, um, you start to realize the more that you get into it that research is a global conversation and it's mm -hmm. happening paper by paper and it's been happening through you know, 100 years of modern, modern research and somebody's got to organize all of that content. So and was it like the, the Lego blocks of uh, there may be conclusions that feed into what I'm thinking or was it like... Uh, shit, I'm in the middle of a three-year trial to, uh, you know, about this hypothesis. Some guy in Denmark has just published a paper that validates or invalidates it. Was it yeah, either of those um, or both of those that were it was a motivator? So, so it's, it, it's interesting uh, when you the the best researchers, best scientists. I think they do something similar to what you do when you start a business. Mm -hmm. um, they do this when, when you start a scientific project. Mm -hmm. And you do a competitive landscape analysis of a field, field of knowledge. So you, you need to know what's known, who the players are, where they're working, what they're, what they're doing, what they're working on, how they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And to, to gain that body of knowledge, uh, you need to dig deeply into, into the literature. And you need to read, and you need to talk to people. Mm -hmm. It's very, very hard to, hard to do, and it's essentially done randomly. Mm -hmm. And then the next part is uh, you're racing in a zero-sum game to you know, put your flag in a particular area of knowledge that you, you saw a hole. Yeah. And you have to do that faster than, than anybody else. Yes. And to do that, you have to be tracking your field. You have to be tracking the literature. And what kind of time horizons are? Typically about four, three, two to four years for an for average scientific project. So, okay. so uh, you know, the story of my PhD, for example, mm -hmm. I read papers for the first three months, did almost nothing but read, mm -hmm. and then you sort of like close your laptop and go to the bench and you dissect mice and you do all kinds of things, mm -hmm. arcane and, and crazy sort of experiments, um, uh, and you do them for, for years. And eventually you write up the manuscripts and, or the manuscript and, and you send that for peer review. Mm. In that time, yeah. the field can move on. Right. And people are, you know, lo and behold, people around the world are smart and they're working on things and they're reading literature. And if you can't track your field, if you can't see the direction the field's going, see if somebody's potentially scooped you on, mm -hmm. on some part of your research or invalidated some approach that you're taking, if you can't see that happening, mm -hmm. um, you're, you're not connected with your field. So the, the world of science deeply needs a literature discovery engine. Mm -hmm. it's, it's partially to organize all the literature, but it's actually about connecting people as well through the literature. So did you just, midway through your PhD, just like, ah, screw it, I'm not getting my PhD. I'm going to start <laughs> this, or how did you um, so, navigate that? So, so I, I think I have like a problem-seeking behavior, but uh, in a positive sense. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, you know, coming into undergrad, uh, wanted to work on something related to medicine. Mm -hmm. Looking at that, I wanted to, you know, work on cancer, which is, you know, one of the, the, the biggest big diseases, the yep. families of diseases. Um, and working on cancer, I discovered an underlying problem, which is to do with information efficiency, literature discovery, all, all of this. And I keep sort of burying down to more fun, fundamental problems. Mm -hmm. So when it came to, you know, the opportunity around this, it was kind of like, there's not a lot of other media types that have not been revolutionized by the way in, in the way that we discover them or rewired in the way that we discover them by that, that Valley thesis, this looks, this looks like an opportunity for that. It looks like one of the last opportunities for that mm -hmm. um, at scale. And it would be important for society, be important for researchers. It could be a big long-term sustainable business. And that's important. Businesses have to be sustainable to have impact, mm -hmm. care about impact. So all of that together made a really good case. 
And um, uh, as you know, I co-founded the company with my sister. Mm -hmm. um, her background complemented mine really, really nicely. And, and basically, you know, my, my background, understanding the problem, the domain, the content, and data. I was working on some bioinformatics at the time, so I had some understanding of data and, and a little bit of data science. Mm -hmm. And Amy's background in large-scale web development mm -hmm. and application development kind of came together really nicely. And we sat down and said, like, let's do this. Right. And then do you, like, this is not... It, how do you how do you start a problem like this? Because you know, the 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 current narrative in startup land is do do an MVP and you've proven that you've you know you've got your market and blah blah blah. Uh, to me, I'm trying to envisage what your MVP looks like. It's get all the data. Well, the first thing to say is bad, right? <laughs> Pardon me. Our MVP looked bad. Um, but there's the user yeah. interface. You mean like the user interface or the quality of the, the data? Qual the, the whole thing. So yeah, like the, so to I create can, I think bad UIs is okay, but I don't know how you get all of academia and smush it. In. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll I'll tell you the process that we went through. So as an innovator, it can be clear what the what the solution needs to do in general, mm -hmm. but the specifics and the details matter, right? Mm -hmm. the, the execution matters. Yes. And um, so in our case. It was not clear what the form, exact form of, of the solution would be, mm -hmm. and there were components that we had to be able to put together to make something like this happen. So one of them is content, the other one is data science, and the third is the platform experience. Mm -hmm. And just understanding that it should be, a, you know, for example, a feed-dominated experience. At the time, you know, we're talking about five years ago. Um, a lot of the a lot of the obvious productization solutions and, and UI solutions were not there. And so those, without those patterns, we had to go out and build things and test them and have them fail. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the, the first version of, of Sciencecape that we built, I don't think we'd even called it Sciencecape, but at that time it was the thing that we're working on. I don't know, some website, right? You know. Um, so in that, in that case, it was about exploring history. And we, uh, there, was, there was a moment uh, where we had put a number of pieces together and we knew that we, we were onto something when we had uh, a large uh, amount of the content, and we'd put it into an interface that propagated the concept content into these historical timelines. And we'd been drawing these timelines on boards and saying, you know, if we could get the content to act this way in the interface, if you could set it up right with the metrics and X, Y, and Z, you'd be able to explore all of history. And we'd never seen anything like it. Remember, there's just search boxes. That's the state of the art in the field. That's the landscape of products in the field. And there was a moment when we saw our first historical timeline propagated in, in the interface, and clicking the peaks, we you know you could discover landmark papers throughout history, and mm -hmm. it was like, holy shit! Like there's something happening here that that could work in a product setting, mm -hmm. and we tested that with researchers, and they liked it, but they didn't want to use it every day. They wanted to use it on a weekly or monthly basis. Mm -hmm. So a little bit frustrating, but we uncovered one part of the product, and over a number of years, we had to figure out other pieces and components of this. And so it, it's been hard. We've been, we've been working on what the product thesis is, what the details are. Um, is the business possible? Will publishers participate in the model? Right. Really important for publishers to par participate. Yeah. In the end, we're solving the other side of their business, which is you know, how can you get people to know about the content that's being published and read it? Really important for publishers. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, solving that component, we should be able to work with them to make their content more discoverable on a full text basis. So, did you did you guys um, just start building like like how did you like fund yourselves at the very beginning? Did you just we we, we bootstrapped it? Yeah. Um, we uh, I think I think I probably sold like a couple objects from around the house. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, we we took a loan, mm -hmm. um, which was which was a big gamble. A, a lot of um, a lot of the resources for entrepreneurs that are there now, things like Quora mm -hmm. and a lot of the great blogs, um, they you know may, maybe I, I just didn't know about them. But I, I think I think in general they they weren't as established as they are now. For so sure. much has developed in terms of learning base and resources on on the internet um, for starting companies. So because a lot of that wasn't there. It was just, we've got to figure out how to do this, and we're going to figure out everything from first principles, like how to do a company from first principles, how to. And so we, you know, we, we probably made every mistake, but um, we're still here. So. That's cool. And because five years, especially, like, so you started by doing that. How did you know that it was worth continuing? Like, you know, how far, you're, you're six months, you're eight months, you're a year into it. You're getting some validation. You're getting a lot of things that are like, mm, that's kind of weird. Uh, how do you know that you're still on to something and that you, is it just because you like, because, there, I, because I, there's I, no solution out, there's no solution out there. So yeah, it's easy, it's easy to get, get discouraged at various times. And we've certainly sort of been through troughs of discouragement. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, all you had to do in this case was, um, go back to, go back to the current state of state of the art in products and say, you know, is this really not solving it for researchers? And it's like, indeed it's not. And is this a real problem? Well, you know, I'm a user from that market, and I can all I have to do is go out and talk to a bunch of other researchers. And the problem's obvious; they they'll admit it. Now the problem, by the way, is highly published. So like journals like Nature actually write about this problem. Oh really? But back then, we were sniffing out this problem from scratch. Right. And you're uh, like big data, big data. Oh my god. Yeah. People are like what? What's big data? It, no, it, uh, just just the definition of research overload. That being a problem, nice. nobody was talking about it back then. Mm. And the interesting thing is, we made this startup video. You know, one of these product. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, uh, animated epiphias or whatever. Okay. Uh, epiphio videos. Um, so we made one. We were like one of the first startups in our space to have a video like that, and um, and we wrote it. We had it narrated, animated, everything. And I think that video actually at the time was the first glimpse for most people in our market huh. into that sort of problem thesis, that, that product thesis as well. And we see that video echoed, the, the narrative from it and the stats from it too, hmm. in lots of other startups videos who are working on related problems hmm. as well as in like blog articles and, and sometimes uh, other editorial articles on this particular problem. That's cool. So just for those... So, so just back yeah, to your question, yeah. sorry. All we had to do is go back to the market and say, <laughs> "Is this? Do we still believe this is a real problem? Yes, for sure. Is it solved? It is absolutely not solved. Right. We'll keep working because we believe in the solving the problem." Fair enough. So, for those who are tuning in, this is Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. I'm Rob Kennedy, and we're here with Sam of Sciencecape. Uh, so, how? Um, what I'm, one thing I'm curious about is, you come at it from a subject matter expert. So, I know the space. I know the problem. Is there anything that surprised you? You're now. Put it, taking off the customer hat in, to a certain degree, and you're putting on the product hat. Um, and I'm assuming this is the first startup you've built. Yes. So, is there anything that surprised you? Were like, well, clearly, like you said, the timeline is an example. Clearly, this would be a feature that everyone would want in the world. And then you actually go out and try it with real people, and like, what the hell are you talking about? Is there any? Um, were you surprised at anything, or was that like? Exactly so, what you expected. It to be. So I think um, I think one thing uh, one thing that's been working um, for me, anyways, uh, to help me in my role is the fact that science is a hypothesis-driven activity. Right. And so um, I, you know, coming from PhDs are brutal processes, mm -hmm. and they they um, they beat into you this humility about knowledge, and having humility about your market, about the knowledge, even if you're an expert in that market. 
you need some vision, but you have to admit where, where the details become. At a, cert, at a certain level, you just don't know the answers to what, what, what the, the tactical questions are. Right. Um, and, uh, and from the product perspective, definitely have a solid idea of what the problem is. Have a solid idea of what the general solution should be and the general form of the solution, but most of the details, willing to have humility about, the, about those. So we've been wrong lots and lots of times, and we've tried lots of different things, mm-hmm. and in the process, we've um, we've figured a whole bunch of things out. And so I think the scientific training, you know, <laughs> looking at the lean uh, startup movement, it's really about all all about hypothesis-driven activities. Right. So so I I came from that. Right. Before it was cool. Before that, yeah, <laughs> it was. And then, and then you, you sort, you know, that that movement takes off, and, and as as a researcher coming out of academia and reading, you know, the 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 manifesto behind that, you you just buy. It. Has it been bastardized as a so you know this is not the it's it's trying to science scientify startups, like trying to put the scientific method on startups, ish. Yeah. Right. So, is is there a gap in that? Like, because you know, science has been around for a while. Uh, but well, I, I think everyone is... has to admit that um, that it's it's a seductive idea to think that you know what people want. Mm-hmm. But if if you're honest with yourself, you know the uh, ethnological researches or ethnographic researches is required to answer a lot of product questions. Yes. You. You can have a hypothesis of, about what a general group of people want, but um, but the answer could be surprising and, and wrong. So it's more of a social science science than a science science, a yeah, hard science, for sure, basically. And and uh, yeah. do you think it's got a ways to go to catch up? But there's a lot of value being, in that, by the way. It no, doesn't absolutely. have to be a hard science. Yeah. No, absolutely. But yeah. it's like even social science has had you yeah. know maybe a hundred year history of being a proper like treated right. like a science. Right. Whereas this this lean like it's an assemblage of tools and techniques that are maybe ten years old, maybe. Right. <laughs> Uh, at, at most, do you think it's sort of weak? Pro- uh, it probably is. Yeah. So you'd probably find that there's rigorous methods and established ideas that have been researched and proven in in the in the academic discipline or the scholarly discipline that have probably not migrated in. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it might be interesting to see what those gaps yeah. are. Like you'd be like, well, obviously you need a t test or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> see, I sound smart. Okay. So how do you you, you were you were bootstrapping it for a while, and yeah. then all of a sudden you're like. Shit, I need money to keep going. How do you know when that time is? I mean, obviously, you've run out of money is one indicator. But how do you know it's worth going to somebody and getting their money to, to continue a, a company? Well, so so we didn't start off thinking that we were going to raise money necessarily. Mm. We just started off working on, on the problem and then learning. Uh, so so an, interesting, an interesting thought is um, it's often not clear how much resources, how much time, what engineering what capabilities are needed to solve a problem. You learn that in the process of solving the problem. Mm-hmm. And there were, there were sort of watershed moments for Amy and I um, when we would suddenly discover a big bucket of activities that were gonna be absolutely required mm. to, to make this happen. One of them being cutting edge data science mm-hmm. and m- machine intelligence. And so when you discover a bucket of activities like that, it becomes you know eminently clear that you're gonna need world-class people to work on that. They're gonna have to be passionate about the problem, they're probably going to be expensive to hire. And given that, if you're not willing to give up the problem and the solution, you're going to have to raise money. And so uh, so as we discovered those buckets of activities, it became clear that we, we would probably have to raise money. It also becomes much, much more exciting because you know you can you can do a whole bunch of innovation in, in that area and 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 bring that capability to market mm-hmm. and potentially other capabilities alongside it. 
So in the process, you also maybe discover the business that you're building in terms of revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and those two things have gone hand in hand for us. So discovering activities, discovering um, potential revenue streams, and then, you know, creates an investment case. Cool. And then how long ago did you get your first sort of, I guess, seed-ish round? So we did, we did a small friends and family round. Um, and I think we did that. I think we might have done that in the fall of 2012. Okay. Um, so we'd already been working for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, I think we, yeah, I think it might have been fall 2012. So we did friends and family, and then um, we did our first angel investment just after doing a startup accelerator program. Okay. So we did extreme startups mm -hmm. in Toronto, mm -hmm. and uh, we had, had our first major angel investment. And then um, the progress we made, the press we got, and all of the things that happened during extreme startups. Um, uh, really catapulted us into a seed round. What was, was your intention of going into an accelerator? Like, did it meet your your desires? Like, is that? Yeah, it was. It was yeah. a fan, it was a fantastic thing for us. So, um, so Sciencecape was officially founded out of the Tuscany room, which is a room in in, in uh, Amy and my my parents' house. And you know, Amy and I were not. We weren't connected to any community. We were just you know passionate, working on a problem, had had a decent idea, and we're working down down that path. So it was very important for us to get connected into the community, mm. and um, I was coming from an academic community, so I think I have you know decent connections in 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 cancer research and in academia. Um, Amy was working in her field, um, but we weren't connected into the startup community. And getting around like-minded people, seeing that they're they're uh, experiencing very similar types of problems, just you know working through problems and talking through them with people in that community. Um, then getting in front of investors, that's an important activity. And in the early days, um, for us, that probably changed the, path, the, the course of the company. Yeah, yeah, okay. It made it more sort of, you focused on the business goals and-, and it, it, became, it became, and yeah, it became clear that, uh, it became clear that one day we could be a, a, a venture-funded company mm -hmm. if we hit a whole bunch of milestones, but we didn't even know what that path would look like. Yes. And so that introduced us to both the path, the people, Etc. How do you know that's the right? I mean, that is certainly the narrative of a startup. Like, go to the valley. I'm making this up, but get, go to the valley, get money, be a venture funded thing. How do you know that a venture funded thing is the right thing for you versus? For us, it was it was scale of scale of technology needed. Yeah. Scale of problem. Yeah. So this is a global problem. It affects many markets. First, we're focusing on the the biomedical market, and there you have a large group of academics doing very important work. You have pharma. You have government. You have clinical, and of course, immediately adjacent, you have the physics market and the chemistry market, and then IP. And um, looking at that, you can you can see a, a large set of services platform. That's that's a large company. That sounds like a, a venture story. Got it. And then how did you when you when you so you you rolled out your pro, your the first instance of the product to the public when. So we, we did lots of little private betas, um, and, uh, and for us that was, that was really important. It was, it was impossible, in our case, uh, to develop a full-scale public beta, mm -hmm. um, because the quality has to be very high. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, quality has to be high, a lot of content, a lot of algorithms behind it. Mm -hmm. um, the scale of the content is quite large. So, um, so for us, lots of, of private betas over a period of about three years. And then, um, and then we did our first public beta uh, last August to test at a larger scale a whole bunch of product hypotheses that mm -hmm. um, you know interviews were we'd probably run out of um, uh, ability to extract new information from interviews, and we wanted to start tracking 
um, online numbers and, and metrics and, and usage and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then did you have to make deals on the publishing side at all, or is it just since you hop yeah. over to, yeah. Yeah, so we, we why, have, why we have dozens of partnerships why, why? on the publishing side. To get the data to search? Um, yeah, so it's partially about uh, it's partially about the data, but the data is derived from the full text of the articles, mm -hmm. and um, and we realize that uh, a lot of the information that people want to be able to track is buried deep inside these scientific articles. So, if you're if you're a scientist and you're working on a particular gene, so say it's your gene of interest, mm -hmm. um, which basically means the gene that you're working on to make some new innovation or advance in in the knowledge space around that gene, you need to know probably every paper that mentions that gene. Right. And for you to do that, you're going to need to track any mention of the gene deep in, deep in the article. Right. So with that in mind, we realized that uh, you know, a lot of the, the value that we would be able to generate with a platform like this is by applying machine intelligence to full text literature. And, uh, and, and the publishers uh, would have to be partners in that. We weren't sure if they'd be interested, and um, and one of the most amazing things is just sort of the the scale of buy-in that we've had from the publishing well, industry. So two things: one is the, behind the paywall, like the the full text is the thing that is behind the paywall yep. to a certain degree. Yeah. So you had to convince them to have access to the crown jewels of what they do. Yeah. That's right. So how does a startup? I mean, I'm assuming you weren't like venture backed and or anything no, like that. You just not went, hey, I'm a startup, and I want to index all your crown jewels. How do you get them to like? First of all, it's a big, it's a business, so they're yep. like, you don't, you don't just talk to a guy, and the guy's like, okay. H how do you convince a, a company like that to open their? It's it's a long it's a long process. Yeah. Um, so so similar to the similar to the startup community, we had to start to build our, our network in publishing. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's the first thing you have to get connected, and then um, you have to be able to uh, you have to be able to talk about you know why they would want to do it, mm -hmm. and we, because we're not thinking a lot and working on the access problem, we, we don't we don't really worry about that. Mm -hmm. We're actually um, we're actually able to bring a lot of value to both publishers and readers by everybody working together, mm -hmm. and um, and the publishers are deeply aligned with the idea of people reading the great content that they're publishing. Right. They're excited about it. We're excited about it. The, the readers are excited about you know great so scientific papers. You're not so disrupting we start, their business model. You're helping actually. We're we're, we're trying to, a to yeah we're trying to connect the community through scientific articles and and publishers are a major component of that that community hmm. and uh, so we have great partnerships with them. But it was really all about uh, making the articles more discoverable. Right. Cool. So then you you you've got to a point where you've you've it's been a year I guess more or less since you've thrown the product out to the to the to masses ish. Uh, you've got some content deals, um, and now you're kind of in the thick of it, right? Uh, how do you know what to do next? I mean, you've got some hypotheses, you've tested, you've validated you've, some and invalidated others. Um, do you just keep going? Like, how do you know? Because I'm sure customers are saying, oh, I want, or customers, users are, are saying, I want these features. Publishers probably have some opinions about what you should be doing. For sure. Uh, yeah. And some of your investors up till now probably also have opinions. How do you uh, wrangle all of that and turn that into something that is actually a meaningful product that people want to use. Yeah. So, um, so for us, we've been trying to do this whole thing in a in a measured process, mm -hmm. a measured sort of thoughtful process, data, in a data-driven manner. And in the seed stage for us, it was about validating components of the product, components of the business, and learning. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, in the in the next stage of the company, um, it's really about uh, bringing to market um, a new version of that platform. Rebuilt, redesigned from the ground up, and we'll be launching it in the fall mm -hmm. at the start of the 
the next uh, the, the next uh, calendar year mm-hmm. in, in academia, and um, and that platform uh, is essentially the result of all of our learning and activities over five years, and why, so why that's the... taking inputs from. Uh, our public beta, mm-hmm. uh, discussions with publishers, the studies that we run with researchers, mm-hmm. sort of the culmination of everything. So it's it, why the big bangness to it? Why not an incremental? Like why is it a new platform versus? Uh, the, a... uh, so the the uh, the current uh, beta that we've we've been running, which which has been really successful, um, it, we built it in a particular framework mm-hmm. um, that. Uh, it was not as easy to connect to all of our data science capabilities okay. and, and our knowledge graph that, that we've um, we've been investing a lot of our funds in, a lot of our activities in. Mm-hmm. So just bringing that into a new architecture and uh, and uh, that new architecture and enabling a, a lot of what the community needs, um, yeah. all of that ha- has has come together in a particular way. And, and were you to raise like another round of money, um, what would that money be used for? Is it for building that? For finishing that platform off, no, is it no. marketing? Is it like lasers? Like what do you? Uh, for for us, it's for uh, yeah. So if actually to answer your question, so if we were to raise a new new round of funding, mm-hmm. um, it would be for uh, launching that platform and for growing it. Right, uh, but is it like typically like when when you usually once you get another seed or a series round or whatever, um, depending on the kind of business. So if it's a consumer business, because B two C type of business, yeah. you probably spend most of it on marketing and testing out hypotheses about how to get acquire and retain yeah. customers. In your case, you're, is it, I mean, you definitely want academics to come on the platform, so there's some flavor of marketing there. Yeah. Um, is, but, but then it, the, is the proportion like platform 50%, marketing 50%, or like how do you so, so make for, that decision? Yeah, so for, for us in the next stage, probably proportion is 50% platform, 25% uh, bringing services to market that people can use that are offshoots of so what we're going to call platform services, okay, uh, and then twenty five percent growth. Okay, cool. Yeah. And how do you know, like, so this this the the magical the plan for the next step of the business that's probably more than five months worth of plan. It's like a year or two or three years. Yeah. How do you know whether you're moving in the right direction? Are there any indicators that you can say, oh crap, we're spending a little too much on platform. We should be spending more on blah. How do you know to yeah, for, keep an eye so, on that. so for us, um, we're we're focused a lot on on engagement mm-hmm. uh, on the platform. Okay. So they'll so they'll be bottom of the funnel numbers that we're we're focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing. And then the second thing will be working with uh, with some key reference customers um, for our platform services. How do you? Because that's the one thing. As we close out the show, what I'm curious about is. If, a, say, a cancer researcher uses your platform to keep an eye on a gene uh, over time, yeah. uh, and then they magically find a really great treatment for cancer, say, maybe not the cure, but maybe something <laughs> that's, you know, I'm a breast cancer researcher, and holy shit, I found this thing. If you do a mastectomy here or not here, it, that yeah. makes a huge difference. That's a pretty powerful story. Yes. But it's really hard to capture that they use Sciencecape to, to kind of keep an eye on that, unless you say, hey, did you use Sciencecape? Like, sure. how will you know? I mean, engagement is a, is a nice metric, and it's important because it shows that the platform has value, yeah. but how do you know that really important things are coming out of it? Yeah, so, uh, so obviously it will, be, it will be amazing to capture stories by interviewing you know, highly active users. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but they could have one interaction or two interactions with your platform, and that might be sufficient for them to know. I, I may so, be wrong. So we, we, may not, we may not be able to capture those stories immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but one of the things that we think is that if people are getting the value delivered from, from Sciencecape, that they're probably reading a lot more articles. Mm-hmm. And so 
our engagement metrics and the 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 output of value, um, it's in it's in number of article reads and things to do with the article con consumption itself right. at various levels of their reading funnel. Yeah, yeah. So that's where that's where we think um, if people are reading more articles, probably they're using the knowledge from those articles in their research activities and practices. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. Well, I'm so, I'm sorry to say we're actually out of time. Well, <laughs> so this was great. Thanks for having. Thanks for coming on the show. And if people want to check out Sciencecape, where do they go? Yep. So you can go to Sciencecape.net. .net. Yep. Cool. And it's all one word, Sciencecape. Yep. Uh, spelt the way you might think. Yes. Uh, so this was Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. Uh, I'm Rob Kennedy. Thanks to Sam from Science State for coming on. Thanks to the Working Group for hosting us. And thanks to Nick Kuhn for producing the show. Uh, we'll see you next week. And in a couple weeks, we're actually going to the Startup Festival in Montreal. We'll be broadcasting live from there. So that's going to be exciting. So check it out. That'll be the week of whatever, July 15th, 16th kind of thing. So we'll be broadcasting live from there. Looking forward to that. Uh, thanks again. And check out Sciencecape.net. Thanks, Rob. Bye.